what we try and teach schools is, look, figure out who you are, who are your people, and let's build strategy around you rather than trying to be someone you're not. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. Today, I chatted with Joe Abraham, operating partner at Beyond Academics, and we explored how the human factor can impact digital transformation in higher education. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. I'm so excited to have you as a guest. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on the podcast because of your keynote at Alliance this year about the different entrepreneurial styles and how they can impact innovation on a team. But before we hop into the details, can we just get a little bit about your background? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm unusual to higher ed. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Okay. So I've been building businesses ever since I was out of college. It just happened to be that I stumbled across a fairly innovative guy who was uh, starting a company called Beyond Academics to serve higher ed. Uh, a few years ago, and I teamed up with him, and that's kind of what brought me here. But my journey has been in the entrepreneurship space. Excellent. Well, you have a lot to teach us then, for sure, it sounds uh, like. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so you joined uh, Beyond Academics. Can you tell us a little bit about Beyond Academics and what, you know, their focus on higher education? Yeah, the focus, uh, we're, there's really three parts to who we are. Part one is um, R&D. We do a lot of research and development into kind of what the future is, holds. Okay. Holding for higher ed, the future of work, the future of uh, the college enterprise, how entrepreneurial behavior is going to play into that. So we're doing a lot of studies with schools there. As we're learning from that, that leads to part two of who we are, uh, which is consulting. Okay. Um, we basically take all the learnings from our future of uh, research and then apply it to schools and work with presidents, typically of schools who are trying to roll out a whole new strategy and need help either creating the strategy or executing the strategy. And then the third part of us is in the ed tech space. We have an accelerator where we invest, take uh, early stage investments in some uh, innovative ed tech companies and are also trying to find the companies that aren't getting a lot of uh, limelight yet. Okay. Uh, they aren't heard of, but they've got really innovative things that benefit higher ed. Uh, we bring them into what we call our partner program and advocate for them, put them on the radar of presidents put them on the radars of CIOs so that they are heard and, and seen in the marketplace because, you know, the technology transformation isn't going to happen with all the old guard. It's going right. to take some new bodies and we're finding them and bringing them in. So those are the three parts of who we are. That's really cool. I mean, we were just talking earlier about just all the ed tech companies that are focused within education. And it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. cool to go to trade shows and walk around and see all the new innovations that are happening. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is because this concept, if you will, of digital transformation has absolutely been something that higher ed um, has been focused on for years now. And there's been you know, lots of conversations. What does that mean? Is that going to the cloud? Is that getting new tools yeah. and tech and processes? So um, what do you think has really you know, led to implementing and making this being such a focus on campuses? I, I, you know, we can all point back in our recent minds to the pandemic, right? Sure. And how it kind of forced change. We find that higher ed doesn't really like to change unless it's kind of forced on them. Right. So the pandemic was probably the last. But then, you know, everyone's talking about this enrollment cliff coming, you know, and then this demographic cliff coming. So there's the cup and then there's the outside forces of all the disruption that's happening with education itself. Right. The customer saying, I don't know if I really need higher education anymore. Uh, new innovations where people can go and access education and certificate programs without necessarily even going to higher ed. So with all those forces, I think that's what's 
finally forcing higher ed to say we have to embrace new things. Right. And I think that's bringing the onset of digital transformation. But yes, the old definition of digital transformation, which is, hey, let's just move to the cloud. Right. Uh, is being debunked very, very quickly because that's just not transformation at all. It is. And we talk a lot of times, too, about when it comes to any kind of transformation, sometimes there's the perception of, oh, there's a new technology. I'm going to go implement that. But it's beyond the tool. And it's really the mindset and the human factor, I'll say, for lack of a better word. Right. And and so when I think about um, this is really where your expertise comes in. And when looking at your book, talking about the entrepreneurial DNA. So can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I love that you said that transformation really is about the human side because that is, you're, you, you nailed it. That's absolutely it. Um, technology enables stuff that humans come up with. Right. But if the humans aren't ready and if the humans don't want to change, we can throw all the technology in the world at them and it'll just sit there. Right. right. No adoption. Nobody adapts. Um, and we just spent a bunch of money. So, yeah, one of the reasons Matt Alex, our founder, invited me to join him as a partner when he was starting the firm was he said, Joe, there's a human issue. There's a human problem in higher ed where we're building the next generation of leaders. Right. In other words, we're equipping these young people and we're training them up and we're training workforces and higher ed's doing so many great things transformationally in the lives of people. But when you look at what's happening inside higher ed, the staff, mm -hmm. the faculty, it's kind of like the cobbler ha doesn't have any shoes. Right. You know, we're not investing in them and they're not changing and they're not transforming and they're not advancing at the rate that higher ed could offer. So you're right. That's really where a lot of my focus in our firm goes is to say, how do we identify the needs of the people right. uh, in higher ed, help them grow? And then, yeah, I do find that entrepreneurial behavior and entrepreneurial mindset is a tricky thing in higher ed. We teach it. Right. In our classrooms, but we don't necessarily encourage it in our conference rooms. Uh, some schools do. And right. you can kind of tell because they start doing really cool stuff and really big things happen. Right. That's entrepreneurial behavior resulting in it. Yeah. But I would say a significant majority of schools struggle to find the balance between, wait a minute, we like the sound of entrepreneurial behavior and the possible outcomes, but what if people just go crazy and start making crazy decisions and taking all these risks <laughs> and the wheels come off, right? Somewhere in the middle of all that is the happy medium. So helping them find it is important. So that's one of the reasons I took some of the work I did in, high, in entrepreneurial behavior 20 years ago, working with entrepreneurs and okay. startups and the technology space and said, let's adapt that, which we took a lot of work into higher ed because right. it's the same humans, right? We Correct. all have entrepreneurial <laughs> behavior. It's it just applied very differently in higher ed. So now the question is, how do we measure it in people and how do we teach them to leverage it for personal professional growth, but also for the institution's benefit? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you talked about, it's interesting, we talked about teaching versus how are we doing it? You know, we talk a lot of times about there's really, you know, really two halves, if you will. There's there is the the educational academic side, and then there's the business side, and they're mm -hmm. they're real, they're really almost like a line. They're they're not connected. So it doesn't surprise me that some of the things that we're doing from an academic perspective maybe aren't translating over from a business perspective. But then that's where the opportunity really lies in understanding what does it take to be disruptive and to and to really yeah. adopt change. Yeah, and I find we find more and more that the C-suite, let's say, of a typical higher ed institution um, isn't necessarily the most entrepreneurial bunch, but 
two, three, four levels down, there's some incredible ideas. There's some right. great future potential leaders who are in the trenches. They know the problems. They've done their form of design thinking to say, there's a problem. I think I have a solution. But because there isn't a good pathway for that idea to work its way to the halls of power, because maybe there's a weak manager overseeing that person who doesn't want any ideas or someone who hasn't been taught how to lead an entrepreneurial minded person. Right. A lot of these great ideas are sitting stagnant across the organization and the power would, will be eventually when higher ed starts to embrace it and create pathways for those ideas to flow up and through the organization and for teams to form very nimbly and quickly. I mean, you look at the early days of the Googles and the Apples. Right. All they did was put smart people together and say, have at it. Yeah. Well, we've got really smart people in higher ed. We do. The question is, are we letting them have at it? Or are we saying, look, here's your standard operating procedure for the day. You know, punch the clock, dot your T's, cross your I's and go home and be entrepreneurial in your student government thing or in right. your association or at your church or wherever else. But don't bring it here. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And and so how do we transform? Right. How do we then get the right people combined i think you have a framework for that yeah and you know it's happening the good news is we're seeing it more and more more and more schools are looking at you know the asus and the southern new hampshire's and saying wow you guys did some really cool stuff we should too you know boards are bringing in new presidents presidents are moving into new schools with fresh ideas it's starting to happen right um one of the tools that are available in their toolbox would be maybe some of the stuff you and i are about to talk about which is there's a if we can all assume that there's an entrepreneur inside all of us and there is yes my work really didn't go to study are we entrepreneurial as humans we all are the question is are we all the same and my aha moment was when i discovered that all entrepreneurs aren't the same like a, a richard branson who started the Mer the virgin brand isn't the same thinker and decision maker as let's say a steve jobs right they just see the world differently. They make decisions differently. Their risk tolerances are different. And you could see it in like Richard Branson's first book was called Screw It, Let's Do It. <laughs> yeah. And you could see like, you know, a, a record label and then a, a cruise line and then flying to, you know, who knows where right. versus a slow and steady Bill Gates. We're going to own a technology company and build a technology company. And then you've got a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk kind of mad scientist yes. behavior. Right. They're all a little different. Even though we could put, call them all entrepreneurs, their decision lenses were very different. Okay, so let's lift that okay. and bring that over to higher ed and say, in higher ed, we've got, let's say, a CFO or a CIO who makes decisions one way. But you may have an incoming president who's very kind of Elon Musk-like in their thinking, okay. very transformation-minded. And then you may have uh, an enrollment director who's very opportunistic, risk-taking. Let's just go hunt and find. And you put those four or five people in a room and go, yeah, let's put a strategic plan together. Yeah. Well, you know, we may not all see it eye to eye because, again, we're all higher ed people, but we are wired to think and make decisions differently. So this framework that I kind of stumbled across, I just named it BOSI, B-O-S-I. Okay. Which, are, which is acronym for Builder, Opportunist, Specialist, and Innovator. And they sit on a quadrant, very much like you see a lot of behavioral quadrants, right? The B and the O sit mm -hmm. next to each other at the top of the quadrant. The S and the I sit at the bottom. Um, the S is opposite of the O. The B is opposite of the I. It just worked out that way where yeah. as we, we're all different as people, so an assessment helps uncover 
if you're more builder-like or more specialist-like, if you're more opportunistic in your thinking or more innovative in your thinking. Um, and there's an aha for an individual to go, oh my gosh, I'm a specialist with some innovator tendencies or I'm an opportunist with some specialist tendencies. And the report helps them uncover what that means for their personal journey as a professional in higher ed. But the real magic starts when a team starts to say, oh, you're a specialist and I'm an opportunist, which means we think completely differently. Our decision making at work is completely different. The specialist is going to think more protective of the organization. Yes. The opportunist is going to think more, let's just go make it rain. You right. know, let's just take some risks. Um, both can benefit from each other. Both need each other. But when they don't see the strengths of each other appropriately, there's a tendency, and this happens in higher ed as it does in any organization, it's like, oh, she's just different. I don't like her. Right. I don't like when she's talking in meetings. She just talks about risky stuff. Uh, I just want to leave. And it puts up barriers when really what that is is an opportunity for collaboration and the real transformation to happen. You know, in thinking about that, I think about so much where the miss is, is communication. And you're yeah. absolutely right if that, and even when you think you're communicating well, because we all think a little bit differently. And if you put these four different personalities or the four different thinkers in a room, it's very possible sometimes that either, yes, there could be some conflict, but there could also be, you think you're on the same page, but you're really not because everybody is taking a different approach into how they're thinking about that. So that's where yeah. a lot of the challenges I think come come in and how this structure and understanding where you are in that framework would really help. Let's say uh, we're dealing with the CIO of a school and the CIO is showing specialist behavior. They've got years of schooling and apprenticeship and on the job training. They're an expert. They know technology inside and out. But if specialist is their primary behavior, they by default are, are making most of their decisions through the lens of reputation. Okay. How do I protect my reputation and not look bad? And how can I protect the reputation of this department and this school? Okay. So most of their business decisions, work decisions are made through the lens of protection. Okay, great. Probably a really good thing for a CIO to have because they're watching over our cybersecurity, right? And they're watching over fraud and all kinds of stuff. But when that becomes their primary lens, but they're in an organization that's where the board says it's time for us to transform. We want to grow. We want to expand. We're bringing in a new president. And let's say the president comes in with a little bit more of what we call innovator DNA, okay. which is kind of breakthrough thinking, idea generation, um, a lot of new intellectual property creation. They just kind of wired like a Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, just like big, big, mega change disruptive ideas. So on one side, you've got someone who's motivated by and wired for disruptive ideas. Right. And then you've got another person in this who has to work with them, who's thinking, lock it down, protect it, make sure no one messes it up. So now the president says, hey, we should start exploring blockchain. Yeah. We should start exploring all these new technologies. And the CIO is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, right. that, that puts us at risk. That That's going to make me look bad. What if... The, you know, we show up on Monday and there's blue screens on every computer in, you know, in right. the institution. I'm the one who has to deal with it. So rightfully so, both of them have their perspective. But to your point, see how each other make decisions or what motivates us to make decisions. The innovator could miss the safety that the specialist offers and the specialist could miss the disruptive game changer that the innovator offers. So then the question becomes, 
how do we leverage each other and still get to where we want to go? Same thing happens when the innovator president says, hey, let's do a brainstorming meeting of how we're going to get to the next level and invites the CIO to the meeting. Right. Imagine that CIO in the brainstorming meeting who's wired to think protectively is going to say, well, that's not going to work. And let me tell you the 15 reasons why. So in early ideation, the, the specialists can kind of mess things up by pointing out all the reasons something isn't going to work. Maybe they didn't need to be in that meeting. Yes, they're the chief of this, but maybe the president needs to know who their other innovators are right. and the opportunists are. Do the early ideation with them, advance it a little further, and then bring the specialists in the room. And now you've created a better pathway to leverage the team and do more innovation better. That's interesting. I'd be curious, how how do you figure out who you are? How do you know where you fall uh, in the bossy format? Yeah, so one of the ways, um, and maybe we can link uh, the talk that I did at um, Alliance, you know, for, so people can just watch it for free on, on YouTube or something. Yeah. One way is just watch, spend 30 minutes, watch it, and you'll kind of self-diagnose yourself. Okay. Another way is you could just take the assessment. Um, it's available at Beyond Academics uh, website. It's free. There's, the, the, there's a basic version that's free, and you can get your answers instantly. And then if you want to have your team assessed, of course, there's a small fee for that, but yeah, yeah. So those are the two ways. You kind of watch and self-diagnose or take the assessment and the assessment will tell you. And I think sometimes that's helpful because sometimes I would say that we think we're one way as humans yeah. or we want to be. But then exactly. if you look and understand what is that, what does that make up? And, and I think probably all of us have done personality tests or, you know, again, the, the all the yep. different kind of disc tests or pick one. Right. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that does feel like me. And so maybe just having that awareness of, mm -hmm. of where you fall would, would even help you to to think a little bit differently or also be more open as you're in a room trying to make some some decisions of, OK, I know I'm coming in at, at, uh, at this DNA and I know that this yep. person's coming in this way, that then, then it may help to actually collaborate even better. I think so. I think you pick up a, not just a self-awareness, but you start to read people in a room, you know, once you've gone through this a couple of times and be watched something or read the report like oh I think that person's an opportunist you know and that you're just thinking in your own mind which we do intuitively right when you're in a meeting you're trying to read people in the room are they like me are they not like me this just gives you another filter to kind of run them through and you're right and you do find yourself if you're if you have good emotional intelligence you're going to start adjusting to their style a little bit you know or or starting to at least wrap around them a little bit right. uh, because you now know wait opportunists have some strengths but they also have some weaknesses mm -hmm. oh if this person is joining my team maybe i can be that person who supports them they're they're they can be very disorganized and not want to follow detail well i'm very organized and i follow detail maybe over coffee i'll offer them that help right because if they can go rain make and i can watch over the back their back office stuff the institution's further along okay you know you, there's ways to do that yeah and i know you went over kind of the four and the labels do you can maybe dive into each one a little bit more and what, what's meant by being a builder opportunist. Yeah, let's do that real quick. I'll do this fast. So uh, our data shows that specialist is the highest uh, DNA in higher, almost 58%. And in some departments as high as 62% uh, of the individuals will show specialist as their primary DNA. So okay. let's quickly talk about that one. It typically activates in the experts of our world because they've gone through that schooling, apprenticeship, on-the-job training certification. They have lots of letters after their name. You know, um, they've built that expertise, which automatically 
at some point creates the need to protect that. Right. You know, they've worked really hard to build a reputation. The last thing they need is some crazy idea screwing it up now. Right. So that sets the stage for the specialist. So their strengths tend to be in the work environment, uh, very, very consistent, very trustworthy because they're going to work hard and do their job and do it well based on the spec, based on their job description, because they put a lot of pride in their ability to deliver with excellence. Right. So you can imagine, man, we need those people for sure in higher ed or in any company. Right. Weaknesses tend to be in the area of accepting change because change typically involves risk to reputation. Okay. Things could go well, but things could go really bad, too. And I'd rather keep things the way they are than deal with the risk of change, even if it means I could make more money, even if it means our organization could earn more profit or generate more revenue. If it ain't broke, let's not try and fix it. Right. right? So that's a specialist approach which has its value, but you can imagine when we're trying to transform, right. we can't all be specialists and sure. transform. It's just not going to happen. So that's S. Uh, their polar opposite in decision-making in the work environment tends to be what we call opportunist DNA. Very, very rare in higher ed. Only like 6% of people in higher ed show opportunist DNA. Oh, wow. Now, in most industries, it's like 15 18% because they have sales organizations sure. and business development sure. people. So opportunist is a little bit more of that Richard Branson um, money motivated. Let me. I, I want to make a lot of money fast. I want to generate commissions. I want to and I've, to generate income and lots of it. I'll take risk. I'll go knock on doors. I'll kiss babies. I'll shake hands. Right. I'll, I'm a natural born promoter. I just love talking about things I'm excited about, whether it's a stock tip or a money making opportunity. Right. You you have people like that in your life. Um, that opportunistic behavior is pre-wired into certain people, sure. which makes them predisposed to selling and promoting. And right. But what's interesting in higher ed is if only 6% of our audience represents that behavior, you can imagine as we hit demographic cliffs and when people aren't knocking on our door to come in and enroll at our schools, we're at a su- significant disadvantage because we're missing the behavioral profile that wants to go hunting. Right. And go and land deals and bring people in and recruit um, and raise money, right? That's that opportunist DNA. But opportunists are like, swing for the fences. Who cares about the rules? Please don't give me, you know, procedures to follow. I don't need consistency. Right. And then the specialist is the polar opposite of that. Then you've got builder. Builder, I kind of named it builder because that's how they think. They always think in terms of growth, expansion, rapid expansion. Most of their decisions are made through the lens of infrastructure. Right. How do I grow my infrastructure? Because if my infrastructure isn't growing, I'm getting upset. Something's wrong. If we're not adding square feet uh, in our buildings, if we're not hiring more staff, if we're not expanding and taking over another campus, my goodness, we might as well just go home. So they're like Ferraris going 200 miles an hour, (laughs) always wanting to gobble up more and more infrastructure, highly driven. So because they know where they want to go and they want big growth, they drive people and push people to perform. Um, it's about, I think, 15% or so okay. of the da- data shows in, in higher ed. Um, and you'll typically see them in leadership roles because based on that style, they get thrust into leading, you know. Um, but what's, what's classically true of builders is they aren't just, it's just not a personality trait. They've actually created double, triple percent growth over sustained periods of time in multiple organizations. So the telltale sign of someone with strong builder DNA is they've grown things significantly, not just once, 
But everywhere they go, every time they step in, massive growth happens. Okay. Because they're able to design and drive strategy around it. And then there's the innovator. They're opposite. The builder is thinks of building stuff, growing stuff, expanding stuff. The innovator is really more mission-driven. Um, I don't care about money. I don't care about expanding or building. I just want to change the world. Yes. And I'll give it all away. I don't like. I just want to see the impact of my invention, my creation, my idea, in other people's lives. So you can imagine, there's a lot of innovator DNA in higher ed. Right. I was thinking um, that. But. Um, but innovator DNA has some in amazing strengths, the ability to generate great ideas, great intellectual property. The weakness is sometimes turning that into scalable, let's say, revenue or business or enterprise. Uh, innovator DNA, because it's so thinking about people and transformation. Right. Some of the business strategy and running the organization and figuring out TPS reports and financial models and all that yeah. drains them. They want to be in the mat in the lab inventing and creating the next thing, whether it's an artist painting sure. or a chef making a beautiful meal or, you know, a professor coming up with a new methodology. That's what energizes them, not being in the classroom, teaching it necessarily or, you know, something else. So those are the four. Obviously, as you can imagine, every team should have a little, little bit of them okay. to run well. Right. If we have all of one of them, you can imagine oh, you're right. going to get the strengths, <laughs> but all the weaknesses accentuated. Sure. So every team would ideally have a little bit the right version of all of them. And depending on the stage of a organization, you may need more of one and less of the other. So as soon as you find the four and understand the four and then say, what does our organization need today? Right. Then you can start to map your strategy around that. And with some institutions, it's interesting to say, hey, look, we already have a thousand employees. We already have 500 or 4,000 employees. What's our institutional DNA today? We have what we have, right? We're not going to fire everybody. Sure. So let's map our organization and say, are, as an organization, are we more specialist? Are we more innovation, innovator? Are we more opportunist or builder? Because that can start to telegraph what the best practices for us are. Because not, not every college is ASU. Right. So, or, you know, so. We can all go and follow ASU's strategy and go, oh, let's do what they did. Well, if their d institutional DNA is different and we try and copy it, it won't work. Exactly. Because behaviorally, we're not wired to make the decisions they make. So there's no best practice guide we can borrow from them and implement. I think enough schools have figured out, oh, that doesn't work. So my recommendation and what we try and teach schools is, look, figure out who you are. Yes. Who are your people? And let's build strategy around you rather than trying to be someone you're not. I think that's a really good point because, uh, again, uh, the part that I love about being part of the higher education community is it's a community. And yeah. everyone loves sharing ideas and we go to conferences and we learn what everybody else has done and we do try to, you know, emulate that and say, oh, this worked really well over here. And then and you do see sometimes, why did that not work for us? Why is this yeah. not this? What do we do differently? And then we go back to conferences and we ask the questions. but. I think you have something there that isn't thought about, especially when you think about digital transformation and it it being the the tech and the people. And even though at one institution it went off flawlessly, and 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 you have the you you almost even have the roadmap of what they did, but when yeah. you try to do it, there's not the same level of success because it's a different makeup. That's right. Meanwhile, you make a few tweaks. To that sure. maybe you could still look at that roadmap and but if you recognize ahead of time that they're very different 
then you can look at their roadmap and go, okay, what if we want the same outcome they got, right? We love what happened for them at their school. Right. What do we need to tweak about our approach to get a similar outcome? But for us to go exactly their path and expect the same outcome was probably kind of insane. Yeah, I see yeah. another part of this transformation that we're seeing is that there really is a transformation of of employees come on board to higher education. There's yeah. definitely been a transition, roles opening, and I'll say traditionally there's been like kind of once you're not in, in higher ed, you're always in higher ed. Uh, but we're starting to see a shift in that and new people. Absolutely. Yeah, coming from the business world and maybe even doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And some of the areas you're talking about in terms of building or strategizing on how to make that happen. And, and, and there may be a little bit of that might be where some of the potential conflict or confusion comes from is that almost like not speaking the same language. Have you seen that? And it, absolutely. And and I, I and when I was a newcomer to higher ed a few years ago, right, because I didn't grow up in the higher ed space. Right. I sensed that from people that, like, oh, Joe, oh, you're not from higher ed. Right. And, and I understand why they're saying that, because because higher ed does have some very unique aspects of what it is. Right. Sure. So let's say they're 50 percent right, but they're also 50 percent wrong, because that's one of the reasons we're a little stuck right now. Right. Uh, one of the reasons we're a little bit is because we have been so insular that we haven't gotten those fresh ideas. But it's starting. Like you said, it's happening. The new ideas are starting to trickle in. Uh, more and more um, leaders are starting to attend conferences outside of higher ed. You know, um, some of the more popular higher ed conferences like um, even uh, ASU GSV is bringing kind of the outside perspectives in. Right. So that's the beginning of it. And I think the more higher ed embraces those outside ideas, or at least considers them, but then still applies the higher ed filter that says, okay, we're not exactly like Walmart. We're not exactly like Nike. Sure. How do we but how do we still filter their ideas and approaches? Because the same person who's going to come to higher ed and take a course with us, a lifelong learner, does go shop at Walmart, right. does buy Nike products and is marketed to and serviced by them or by Uber or by Netflix. Right. So what are those brands doing to engage the exact same audience and deliver to them? Is it fair for someone to go have an Uber-like experience yes. or Netflix experience and then walk on our campus and then stand in line <laughs> to meet a financial aid advisor or, right. or stand in line or wait on hold on a phone call to find out if their transfer credit transfers? Okay, that's that's crazy. Let's start talking to Netflix and Uber and some of the others. Let's start looking at the technologies they're using to go, oh, maybe we can do that too. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And we, we talk about that a lot. And I think it really you know, became so much more apparent, obviously during the pandemic and happened to think differently. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the advances, especially I'll say back, you know, really when IOT was new and fresh and all of a sudden yeah. lights are turning on at your house, you're able to get into your door, but then you leave your home and then you go to campus and you're handed a like a physical key and you're going, what, what is this thing? What do I do yeah. with it? As opposed mm-hmm. to, oh, here are just your credentials on your mobile device. You can just tap and go. That it's definitely a mind shift change, but there's an expectation, especially from students, of this is how we live life anywhere. Yes. Yeah, and I think, I think schools are making some great strides in that direction, you mm-hmm. know? My son just went away to college this last year and it's interesting, like dorm life is, pretty cool now right how right. they get their food now and how they get in and out of their dorms so, so think it's happening but man when we look at student systems and when we look at the erps and we look at just the the mobile experience these students are given by schools we've got 
some catching up to do in the digital sure. transformation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So kind of thinking about that and we're wanting to do this we, and we're learning, we understand where everybody kind of falls potentially in the bossy framework. Any tips on if you are opposite with on the same team, how do you make sure that you're getting the most out of the the strengths of each particular type of DNA? Yeah, one of the cool things um, that I've, we found is that, the, especially the opposites like you mentioned, the strengths of one are the weaknesses of the other. Okay. So if you can truly buy into that and go, wait a minute, if I'm a specialist and my strength is thinking outside the box and, and, and considering new ideas without wanting to think that the sky is going to fall, you know, analysis, paralysis, those are some of the weaknesses I have in a business right. environment, in a work environment. And this opportunist person who's quadrant opposite of me almost like lives for that stuff. Right. Give me the risk. Give me the big ideas. I'll see the lining. I'll see the glasses always half full. I'll find the solution, even if the door gets slammed in our face. And if you could truly say, wait, for the benefit of the organization or for the benefit of the student, my best strengths, along with the other person's weaknesses, actually kind of are, are better. It's not that I need a bunch of people just like me around I, my weaknesses can be offset by the other person's strengths right you start to form an appreciation rather than the wall um and i think that's what it is and i think more if more and more managers you know managers always have you're always having your staff meetings you're always in your team meetings you're trying to do professional development yeah watch the little video that i did at the talk that you talked about and just borrow it you know just make some notes and do a lunch and learn with your staff and say hey everyone let's just take the assessment let's have a talk Let's figure out how we can work better together. What do you think? And let the team kind of feedback to you. Oh, my gosh. What if we ran our meetings this way? What if we handled our idea generation this way? And use it as an opportunity to build a better culture within your little department and then see if that can kind of find its way through the institution because that is where we're seeing some game-changing outcomes. Okay. When, um, when people start to leverage each other's decision-making for the benefit of the student or for the benefit of the institution. Um, it's pretty cool. The, act, the entrepreneurial behavior activates. Right. Because now I'm not hiding from you. I'm trying to find out how you can help me take an idea to the next level. That makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the day, you got to start somewhere, right? I mean, yeah. even digital transformation, it wasn't just like, oh, here's the whole master plan from the get-go. There's what are the phases? And so it seems like if anything else, maybe it's more at a smaller department level that we start to implement and see this behavior. And then once it's noted, oh, okay, how do we expand that across campus? Do you, have you seen something like that working? Yeah, so here's an example, right? Let's say I'm, I'm a special, I recognize myself, let's say as more specialist-like, more analytical, more risk averse, more by the book, right? Yeah. Okay, great. But I see a problem uh, for a student. It, and it's not just one student experiencing this problem, it's like a lot of students experiencing the problem. So I'm aware of the problem. I may innately know that as a specialist, I'm not wired to come up with the solution or ideate sure. or because I just want to go back to doing my work. But if I care about that student and that problem, maybe I know an innovator who sits four offices down or four cubicles down, or I know a couple opportunistic minded people in my department. Maybe I could say, hey, can we grab coffee? There's this problem I keep seeing with our student. Could you guys think about it and brainstorm some ideas. You guys are more creative and let's meet in a couple of weeks. They're going to call you in two days going, Hey, we met, oh, we came yeah. up with seven ideas. <laughs> We're so excited. Oh my God. 
So suddenly, right, I've leveraged people who are opposite from me sure. to advance something. Now, they even when they present it back to you, the specialist, it's going to be half-baked. Right. It's not going to be thought through. It's just going to be big picture, 40,000-foot view stuff. But at least it's something that now you can start to kind of put some scaffolding around and add the detail around because that's what you're good at. Yes. And then send them back for another round of ideation. And before you know it, it's something to take to the boss. Now, the three of you go to the boss and say, hey, we thought this through. Right. Here's the big picture idea. Here's some structure. Here's some risk factors that we've thought through. What do you think? And the boss goes, that's a business case, you guys. This is yes. awesome. I'm going to take it to my boss. Right. You know, that's what we need more in higher ed uh, versus I thought of something. I see a problem. I don't have time to deal with it. And move on. I don't know how to deal with it. And it just sits there. Yeah. Or the innovative people have the ideas, but the boss is a very specialist mind who's like, we don't need any ideas right now. We, we just got enough going on. Like, sure. let's just keep the, you know, the trains running on time. Yeah, I think that's a really great approach, too, because it also really helps build that culture of being open and in. in, in and recognizing the strengths of others as opposed to being like, oh, I can't believe that you're telling me to do this again. It's more like, oh, I know that you're really good at this. So I need help yes. with this part. And you know what? As a matter of fact, I'm OK with knowing I'll handle the details because I realize that that's my strength as opposed to just being like, why are you not detail oriented? <laughs> and it changes exactly behaviors. Right. And if we keep ourselves, if we the more schools and we're seeing more of this happen more and more, the more schools shift from an institution-centric mindset to a more student-centric mindset. Yes. When you're thinking about how do we solve for the student, how do we solve for the student, how do we make their life better, how do we make... Then problem, you start to see problems that need everywhere right. for them, lots of friction points. And man, like I said earlier, like there's some smart, amazing people in higher ed of with course. great ideas. We just have to make it so they can work together or bubble up those ideas and bring those solutions to the table and... And then leaders need to be able to say, let's try it. Let's yes. let's not say no. Let's try something different. That's great. And that's why we're talking to people like you, Joe, so that we can uh, have those listen to this and, and be yes. like, oh, I get it. And I see how I can make a difference because I feel like in higher ed, especially all we want to do, all of us, whether you're out the school side or vendor side, we want to make a difference. Yes. And to be able to do that and understand having kind of a tool set to make that happen is just going to be rewarding for everybody. We hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.